Okay, so we pick up from last week, right? And we've got, and we've got Elijah, he's the divergent. Nobody, nobody else is following God's way. Well, there are some that he doesn't really know about, but it looks like nobody is because those that are kind of hiding it, keeping it quiet because Jezebel's killing all the true prophets of God. So they gotta be careful what they say. And so we've got, we got Ahab and Elijah and all these things are happening. God, God moves Elijah, Elijah in and he, he has Elijah speak a prophecy. And he said, there will be no rain. The heavens will be closed up until God tells me to speak the word again and then the, then the rains will come. And that doesn't happen. And I, I know, listen, here, here, here's, one, here's one of the, the necessities here that we need to get this. Because last week I talked about trusting and obeying and I told you that's where Elijah was for the next Next, until the rain came. Let's just hold off on the timetable here yet for just a second. Until the rains came, Elijah was off learning to trust and obey. So we preached that last week. And so now here we are, we're here on Sunday. It's firefall. We're ready. Oh God, meet my knee because I've been trusting and obeying you for a whole week now. Come on, amen, or oh me, right? Go ahead, stick your toes out there and step on them yourself because you know that's the way we are. We hear a sermon, say, okay, okay, pastor, I, I trusted, obeyed all week long. It's time, you know, it's time for God to show up. It was three years that they didn't have any rain. Elijah was, we, we get this little short story there in chapter 17, and it looks like boom, 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 those things happen. I mean, that could have all happened in a week, you know? It was three years Elijah was learning to trust and obey. And so that's where we pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. For three years, and you know what happens when you don't have rain for three years? Crops die. Cattle die. You know, we, we talked a little bit about that last week. The, verse 2 of this chapter says that the drought and the famine, rather, was severe in Samaria. And you'll you have to back up last week's sermon to get, get all this and remember that Samaria is where the kingdom is of the kingdom of Israel. That's where the, the palace, that's where the, 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 the king's seat is. And the famine was severe in Samaria. The famine was severe. Now, now listen, you and I, we struggle with, with the economy the way it is. But you know, it's going to really get tough when those fat cats up in Washington, D.C. also start struggling, Right? You know, they, they, they still, you know, you and I, we might be struggling, but they still kind of getting their stuff. And this is not a political speech here. It's just pointing out the facts. And if, you're, and if you think about this, this is what this is saying. This is saying that even in the palace, things were tough. There was a famine in the capital city. That you know what would happen is the king is he's going to start going out and getting when there's not enough food in the palace there's not enough food in the capital city he's going to start going out and getting it bringing it there and so he's bringing stuff in all he can bring in and still there's a famine and the famine was severe in this is where they find themselves why does why does God allow this I, I, I know you've got to have you've got to have these questions like why why God for so long and here, here's the, here's Here's the first thing that, that God told me I needed to tell you today, that there is purpose in God's delay. There is always purpose. In, God is not delaying just, and some people think, well, he just wants to see how much faith I've got. No, God, God's not sadistic. He's not just punishing you like that. There is a purpose beyond just finding out how much faith you have. God has a purpose. And a lot of times that purpose are just the people that are involved because some of those people that are going the wrong way in, in God's delay, they were gonna, they're going to turn and come back. And some of those, they're never going to turn and come back, but God still gives them the chance 
You know, nobody's going to really stand before God and God and them say, look, I, I didn't know anything about you. How, you know, how are you going to punish me? I mean, God's going to give them their chance. I believe God's going to give them their chance. That's what he's doing here. But some of the times we, we, we look at the, these people and we say, they're never going to turn around. So God just, just changed things today, God, because they're never going to turn around. But let, let me remind you of something. I, I've said this before, hadn't said it in a while, but let me remind you of this, that you don't know anyone else's demons in their life. You don't know what people are fighting with. You don't know what, what demons were unleashed in their life at such an early age. And, and that, that's where a lot of you are. And you've had some stuff unleashed in your life at an early age and, and you've never gotten over it and you're struggling with it and you're dealing with it. Oh man, I, I, just, I, just, feel, I just feel a heaviness today. Such, a, such an awesome energy and enjoyment, but I just feel such a heaviness today because I know that's where some of you are. And God says, my delay is for some of you. It's because, it's because you've been struggling with all this and, and I'm delaying because of some of you. And, and, and let those of us who, who maybe aren't dealing with some of those issues back up a minute and say, okay, but wait a minute. I don't know their demons. I don't know all the stuff that's been going on in their life. I don't know the struggles. I don't know the battles. I don't know the sins and the temptations that, that they just can't break free from. So let's, let's, let's remember that. That God was even giving wicked old King Ahab and Jezebel extra time that they could even come back because you you and I we don't know who's going to repent only God does but it, and they don't even know but he gives them opportunity so they will know like Ahab okay so let's look at Ahab and here, here's a here's a couple of verses about Ahab when he sees Elijah you know God says okay Elijah go, go show yourself to Ahab when he sees Elijah he says to him is that you you troubler of Israel and Elijah doesn't back down. He's had three years of trusting, obeying God, and hearing from God, and he's fed up too. I mean, that's, sometimes that is the purpose of God's delay. It's because some of you are praying five and dime prayers. You know, God, I need, I need a nickel here, a dime here, and those kinds of things. And God says, I'm ready to give you deliverance, but you're not praying that yet. And so, so Elijah, you know, he's, he's, been, he's been struggling. For three years, he's been having to believe, you know, most of that time from a little widow woman, he's been having to believe that she's going to feed him. That's just the way God set it up. And he's there every single day. He's having to believe this and believe this and believe this is going to happen this way. And you know what? He's just finally fed up too. So he doesn't back down a bit. When Ahab says, is that you, O trouble of Israel? He says, I've not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You've abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. He just points the finger right back at him. He says, you're the problem here. I'm, not the pro I'm just having to walk through it. He doesn't back down at all. And then there's, there's Jezebel. And here's, here's something, and I've told, I told you this last week, but here's the verse that you see. And, and it's in the story, but it tells us something about Jezebel, so that's why I threw it in here. Is Elijah says, now summon to me. It's time for us to do something about this. Summon to me the people from all over Israel on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. This is who she was. She wasn't just killing God's people. She was celebrating and partying with the devil's people. This was a wicked woman. And the, 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 stuff, that, the stuff that they were doing, with, I mean, it, it, I think I said last week, you know, that if I, if I were to say it, it'd be more than rated R. This sermon would be more than rated R. You know, we'd, we'd have to probably dismiss everybody under the age of 18 or so, maybe even some a little bit older if I told you all the stuff that was going on. In this, and, and she was eating with 850 people. No wonder there was a famine in Samaria. I mean, she was feeding all these lazy, all these lazy prophets of Asherah and Baal. And so this is who she was. But then there was the widow of Zarephath. 
You know, if you ever think about the fact that, that she was learning something about God and trusting and obeying him, you remember that story last week about the miracle that happened to her little boy? I mean, she saw a miracle every day and then her boy dies, that little boy. God's delay was for that little boy also. He was learning some things as well. He was learning of the sufficiency of God. I gotta say something to you, parents. You need to, you need to pay attention to what you're doing because everything you are doing is teaching your kids. Your attitude toward God, your attitude toward his church, and I, I mean the body. I don't mean just what we do for an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday morning. Your attitude toward other Christians and your attitude toward God's kingdom work. Your attitude is passing down to your people. And so this little boy, he was watching, he was learning about God's sufficiency. And then he was learning about God's miracle working power also when God raised him from the dead. And then there was Obadiah. Now we haven't introduced you to Obadiah yet, but Obadiah, he was the uh, palace administrator. He worked for Ahab. He was a palace administrator. You know what he was doing? He had followed God, served God, all from his youth all the way up. He had always served God, but he was doing it quietly. He was the palace administrator, you know, he his head would be chopped off, you know, if, if they knew everything he was doing. He was hiding 100 prophets of God from Jezebel because he knew we would kill, that she would kill him. He had 50 in one cave and 50 in another cave, and he was hiding them. And he was providing them food and water. And where do you think he got the food and water from? He was the palace administrator, man. He was siphoning off some of the palace stuff, some of Ahab and Jezebel. So she was trying to kill the prophets of God and he would just kind of, you know, he'd, maybe he'd just add a little bit to the order form, you know, you know, when he was requisitioning food and water for that day and just have a little extra so he could take that. I just, I just love that irony of how God does some things, you know, sometimes. So you got Obadiah and then you got that, those hundred prophets that he was hiding and then later we're going to find out next week that there are also 7,000, we're not going to talk about that right now, but there are 7,000 others. There are 7,000 others that God says they have not bowed to the, to the idols nor kissed the idol, like his fingers, his hands, or something. That was something they obviously did as a tradition there. He said, I got 7,000. So the delay was for them. They were learning about God. He said, there's a lot more people involved in this than just Elijah. But there was Elijah. I got to tell you some things about Elijah right here real quick. He was learning to trust and obey in those three years because God was preparing him to not just be a prophet, but to be the prophet. I mean, just about every Bible scholar I know would say Elijah is the prophet. You start with Elijah. He is the first of the major. There were some prophecies issued before he shows up on the scene, but he was the first prophet that began to speak and, and just stayed there and he was on the scene. Even though there's not a, a, there's not a, a, bi, a chapter in the Bible or a book in the Bible written about him or that he penned, he was, he was the first one who spoke these prophecies. He was the main prophet and this is who God was calling him to be. And, and, and here we need to get this and understand because we do get in a hurry and we say, okay, oh God, uh, you know, I've been trusting you and obeying you now for a week and now we're, and we, we, we want to get in a hurry with this and, and we start going through tough times. We start trying to trust and obey and things get tougher. We sing the song, spirit lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk on the waters wherever you may call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. Take me deeper than, I, than my, my feet could ever just stumble upon. Take me deeper than that. And we sing those songs and then things start getting heavier instead of easier. But that, that's, that's really what we're praying for. Do we not get that? I, I don't think we do. We get it in the movies. I mean, like Divergent. You know, and, and if you haven't seen Divergent, I mean, you, you, you know, the same thing happens in any, any movie where there's a hero. 
But in Divergent, the hero is Triss. And what starts happening to Triss? Triss says, I want to be more than I am. And you know what's going to happen. She's going to get challenged, right? And what do you hope? You hope, oh, Triss, just throw it all away. Jump in the, you know, the Mustang, throw down the top and head out of town. Is that what you start hoping? Now you start pulling for her, don't you? I mean, they put her in a fight with this big old girl. This little be skinny girl. They put her in a fight with this big little girl. She's got to defend herself. Then they put her in a fight with this guy. And, and what are you doing? Are you saying, oh, you just need to run away? No, you're not. You're hoping because you know that in a little while, something, someplace in her life, someplace in her story, there is a place that she is going to have to be the hero. She's going to have to stand up. And so we're cheering for her. We're believing for her. We're hoping for her. We were warning her, yes, be the virgin, be the one that you, you really were destined to be, Tris. And, we, and we're hoping and pulling for her. And we're wanting her to step up to the challenge and to be the, the woman that, that God created her to be. Yet in our own life, we start getting the same kind of challenges that we see in the movies and we pull for and we just wanna, we wanna load up the Mustang. We start wringing our hands, oh God, why is this happening to me? We know And every culture that has ever lived has has always appreciated the hero and appreciated the hero for what the hero has done. I mean, the the ultimate thing to do is to sacrifice oneself, is it not? To sacrifice yourself for someone else to say, it's not about me, but it's about somebody else. It's not about me, but it's about what I'm going to be able to do and what this today is preparing me for down the road. So we, we need to embrace this and understand that there is awesome in your life somewhere, but that awesome doesn't get here because you trusted and obeyed for a week or because you come to the front, you know, so this day right now, we're going to come and pray and for 15 seconds, we're going to pray and believe and man, you're going to have fire. That ain't how it happens. Fire don't fall because of a 15 second prayer. Fire don't fall because of a week's work of, worth of trusting and obeying. Elijah spent three years that we know of. When we first see him, he's speaking to Ahab. God is going to shut the heavens and not let it rain until I say it's going to rain. He was talking to God before we even met him because that's the first thing we learn about Elijah. There's more that is there. And I know know some of you are thinking about, now you're thinking about a spiritual ragtop Mustang. Because you're kind of thinking, I don't know about this Christian thing then. You telling me it's going to get tough? No, I'm telling you that the challenges and the tests that are coming your way are just to help you become that divergent that God has called you to be so that you can step into your place of heroism. You have an epic battle that is coming. And some of you, some of you still kind of floundering around and kind of just playing through life and okay, go ahead and play through life just a little bit longer, but you're going to have to, at some point, you're going to have to decide, am I, am I going to be divergent or, or, am, or am I going to fit in with the crowd? The hundred, they're hiding in the caves. The 7,000, nobody knows who they are except for God, but there's coming and it's coming here right now that every one of them are going to have to stand up and say, this is who I am. And if you hadn't been preparing for that day, you're not going to be ready. You have an epic moment that is coming in your life. And all God is doing right now is he's trying to get you ready. And there's all these other people all around you that he's also working on. And I'm praying that some of them are going to come along with us because here's here's the truth. Here's the truth. Some of you already, every one of you 
have something amazing, awesome to do for Jesus, but some of you already know that you were called of God to do something amazing. Just like Elijah, you've been called to be more and to do more. So today, let's look for just a few moments at the end of this, the, the, the last half or last third of this message, let's look a little bit at firefall. Okay, so, so, so Ahab calls all the prophets together. And uh, in verse 21, Elijah went before the people and he said, okay, we got Ahab there. It appears Jezebel didn't show up. The 450 prophets of Baal, they're there, but we don't see the prophets of Asherah. I don't know if they're eating with Jezebel and they wouldn't leave or what, but they don't show up either. But we got Ahab, we got Elijah, and we got the prophets of Baal, and we got obviously a crowd, okay, because... Elijah went before all the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. You'd think he'd get one amen out of the crowd, wouldn't you? <laughs> wouldn't you? You'd think, but he didn't. Not one single amen. All of Israel that can come to the mountain that day comes to the mountain. You know, people from all walks of life, they're there. And he said, okay, it's time for us to decide. Are we going to follow Baal or are we going to follow Jehovah? That's the name that they like that they called God. That's the one God preferred for the Israelites to call him in the Old Testament. He said, are we going to follow Baal or are we going to follow Jehovah? And nobody said a word. No wonder in the next verse, Elijah says, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. That's why he said that because he didn't get a single amen, right? He didn't know that there were 7,000 that God is going to tell him about in the next chapter we'll talk about next week. And maybe he didn't know about the hundred that Obadiah had been. He says, I'm the only one left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I'll prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, Baal, and I'll call on the name of the Lord, Jehovah, and the God who answers by fire, he is capital G, God. And then all the people, now they're saying amen. That sounds pretty good. Let's do that. Now they're saying amen. Okay, okay, we, we can handle that. We can do with that. So let's talk. Let, let me tell you the story real quick, okay? Because if I read the scripture, I'm gonna have to read the scripture and I'm gonna explain it too. And it's gonna double our time. If you go to the Sunday's page, all of these scriptures are laid out right there for you. And there's also some points that I'll not have time to cover today. Always on the Sunday's page, there's something extra there. So, so I encourage you to go to the Sunday's page. So here's, so here's what happens. Is he, he lets the 450 go first. He said, y'all go first. Y'all pick the bull. They bring two bulls, and he says, you pick the bull. They pick the bull. They, <laughs> they cut it in half. They build an altar. They make themselves an altar with a bunch of stones. You know, you, you might have seen some drawings of that. They just build like a mound of stones. They put some wood up there, and they put the bull on top that they've cut into pieces, and they start to pray, and they pray, and they pray, and they get beside themselves in praying. And listen, I said before I started this message, that there was, there was an, uh, just an atmosphere of, uh, of just, just an energy here in this room, but it's not enthusiasm. They had enthusiasm. Let me tell you something, enthusiasm's not enough. You know, enthusiasm helps me when I'm just kind of having a bad day. But some of you guys are facing more than a bad day, and enthusiasm is not enough. They had the energy. They went to the, so far as some of their practices were to cut, each, cut themselves when they were in their worship. They went that far as they were cutting themselves, they were dancing, they were, and this went on all day long. 
And Elijah, he just, he, just couldn't, he just couldn't help himself. Now, there's several things that Elijah taunts them with, but there's one that I want to tell you about. If you go into understanding what he's saying here, they would understand this. You and I wouldn't understand this. So let me give you some background on, on one of the things he says. He says maybe he's asleep. Now, here, here's the thing he was saying right there is, is because Baal, uh, their god Baal, he would go to sleep in the winter, and then he would wake up in the spring and so, so what Elijah is saying is, hey, yell louder because, you know, he's been asleep for three years now because there hasn't been a spring because the real God, Jehovah, has not allowed there to be rain on the earth. So when he was saying he might be asleep, he was reminding them he's asleep because my God put him to sleep and he ain't ever going to wake up. This bell is never going to wake up. And he just taunted, he, he just had a good old time, just taunting him. To, and then finally, it gets late in the evening, getting close to the time of the, of the evening sacrifice. That's important. I'll tell you about that again in a minute. And so first thing he does is he calls all the people together. Listen, remember this. This is what's important. It's the people. All of our stuff and all of our ways of doing worship, all the stuff and the junk that churches are fighting over today, that's not what's important. It's the people that are important. And Elijah, he wanted to make sure the people saw what was going on, so he called all the people together. And so he called the people together, and he takes 12 stones. And here is some powerful, powerful symbolism. The Israelites had 12 tribes. I told you last week how the kingdom had been divided, and now, now we're dealing with 10 tribes here. There are two other tribes that are in the southern kingdom known as Judah, but there are 10 tribes, and he takes 12 stones in front of these people who are from the 10 tribes. He takes 12 stones, and you know what he is telling them? He is saying, you are still God's people. <laughs> Somebody hear that. Because sometimes you get to the place and you're saying, I, I, I don't know where, am I still yours, God? Do you still hear me anymore? And he said, you're still God's people. You still belong to him. And you know, you've even got some brothers in the southern kingdom that you have turned your back on, but God says, you are still in the family. Somebody hear that today. You're still in the family. He's not kicked you out. He's, he's, they put those 12 stones together for them to see they were still in the family and he was still their God and they were still his children. But when he built the altar... This, there was an altar that was there. Scripture says there was an altar that was there that had been torn down, no doubt by Ahab himself. Ahab is there looking and seeing the altar that was there, and now Elijah is rebuilding the altar that he tore down. Here's the second part of the symbolism right there. He was rebuilding worship in Israel. We need to rebuild worship. And not... No wonder, help me say this, God, no wonder when there is no worship in our life except for an hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday morning. No wonder we walk around lost, confused. Where are you, God, for six and a half days a week? No wonder we don't have any idea why God cares. It's because too many of us today, we have an hour and 15 minutes worth of worship. And we need to, where do you need to rebuild some worship? You having problems in your marriage? Rebuild worship in your marriage. You having problems with your kids? You need to rebuild worship with your kids. You having problems at work? You need to rebuild worship at work. And listen, you don't have to be weird or stupid, okay, and get fired to rebuild worship at work. There you having problems at school? Rebuild worship. 
Become the man or the woman of God that you are meant to be and rebuild the worship. This is what Elijah was doing, right? That's why he called him. He said, come here. And he said, by setting the 12, he's saying, you are still God's people and I am reinstituting worship of Jehovah today. You threw him away. You, you discarded him. But I am rebuilding worship today. He's letting them know. This is a big deal, I think, that we need to get. He's letting them know that this is not about false worship or true worship. It's not about our little petty battles and not about our little stuff. This is a battle between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of hell. This is a battle between light and darkness. This is a battle between righteousness and wickedness. This is a battle between, between truth and deception. And not just for them, not just for them 4,000 years ago, this for me and you today. For me and you today, the battles that we face they're not about our stuff. It is a battle between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of hell. And when you embrace that, when you understand that, then all of a sudden, you aren't the one fighting. You realize that, hey, I'm just in the army, but the king is gonna show up. He's gonna fight the battle. He's already fought the battle. He's already put all but one last enemy. He's got one, and he's gonna put one more under his feet. He's fought the battle. He's won all the battles. And when you understand that this is more than just a battle over your stuff, I, I got to hurry. So, so, so uh, Elijah, he cuts the, the bull and, and he puts it on the wood on top of the stones that he has built there for the altar. And uh, then he gets, he gets them to get uh, four pots of water. Now, when you think of pots, you might think of a pitcher or something, you know, like a one-gallon pitcher, like, you know, the waitress is going to use this afternoon to refill your sweet tea, right? That, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about something at minimum three, four, five probably more like five or more gallons of water. And he has them fill these up and pour it on top of the sacrifice. And they do this three times. You, you multiply that out three times, you know, times, you know, that's 12. Again, 12, 12, 12. And you multiply how many gallons that is. I mean, that's basically like probably at a minimum, it's like taking a 55-gallon drum of water and dumping it on top of this bull that already isn't dry. I mean, you know, he just, he just got cut up. He's still pretty wet. I won't get any more gross than that. Okay. He's, he's still pretty wet, but now the hide and the hair of the bull are also wet and the wood that is supposed to be the fire that is supposed to burn the bull. Now it's soaking wet and then it runs down. He has also dug a trench around this altar and the water runs down and it says it fills the trench that is around the altar as well. And now they are at the time, word of God says, of the evening sacrifice. He's reinstituting worship. He's taking them back to their spiritual roots. He's reminding them, you can't do this your way and succeed anymore. You might as, you, you, instead of playing around and saying, yeah, we're God's people, but we're going to serve Baal, you might as well just go ahead and serve Baal. As to, as to, you can't do this anymore. You've got to make up your mind. And so he comes to the evening sacrifice. And in contrast to the huge show that the prophets of Baal have put on all day long, Elijah prays a little short, simple prayer. I'm going to say a little bit more about that next week. Because you need to hear that. It ain't in the show. God ain't showing up because of your show. He ain't showing up because of our show. God don't care about your show. Worship team, hear me. God don't care about your show. Kids church, I, I, some of the workers are in here, the ones that are off this week. God don't care about your show. He don't care about the show. It ain't about the show. 
a simple little prayer. Elijah prays, and what happens? Let's go back to Scripture. Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. All right, we got to break that down. <laughs> That's a big one. That's a huge I, I, I really, really need to hurry or just need to back up the clock about 10 minutes. You know, if we, if we could do that, that'd be, I don't mean the, the, the physical one back there. I mean, really back up time. I, 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 we got to break this down real quick, as, as quick as we can. You know, and some people say, well, that just happened to be. You know, maybe he was Ben Franklin of his time, and he devised a lightning rod, and the lightning fell from it, and, you know, hit it right. Or, or maybe it was, maybe it was a, a meteor that fell from the sky. I don't care. You know, I told you last week, I don't care how God does miracles. Just, 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 I just care that he does them in my life, you know. But tell me, what's a greater miracle? That you know, I could imagine, you know, if, if it happened today, somebody would say, oh, well, he just went online, you know, and he, he hooked into somebody's telescope somewhere, and he saw that there was a comet that was coming, and he picked the spot, you know, he found the spot. He was able to discern the coordinates of exactly where that comet was going to hit, or that meteorite, or whatever, and he figured it out, and he built that altar that was there, and, and, and then he knew exactly what time, and so he made sure to finish his prayer, you know, just about a minute or two before, before the thing hit, so that they could see it coming down out of the sky. You know, sometimes some of the stuff we come up with is harder to believe than some of the other. Let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. If we believe that God created this world and the heavens and the universe and everything that is in it, that includes storm clouds and lightning. If we believe that God created that, then we believe God created lightning and so every time a lightning bolt hits this earth, it is testimony to the fact that God can send fire out of heaven. You ever thought about that? So this afternoon when you see lightning or you hear the thunder rumble and you've been dealing with your struggles and dealing with all your stuff, you just, you just remember, oh, that's just proof again. God can send fire out of heaven. But, but here's the problem. We don't struggle with believing God can. We just struggle with believing that he will. We don't struggle with believing that he, that he was able to. We struggle with believing that he did. And if you're not careful, you'll get caught up in trying. I, well, I wish I could preach here for about 15 more minutes, but I got too, much, too many other things to say. But you get this. You understand. God is able he is able, if he created it, he's able to do anything he wants to with it. But, but then it goes, it says that okay, it ate up the wood. And, and here, here's the thing, when, you know, if, sometimes we think of fire falling and we think, okay, that's God's judgment. But no, that's what God's doing here is he is accepting the sacrifice. When he eats up the bull with the fire, he is accepting the sacrifice. And this was their sacrifice. Elijah did the work, but they brought the bulls. It was the people's sacrifice. Elijah was smart. He could have come up the mountain with two bulls of his own, but he let the people sacrifice. And so God was accepting their sacrifice. And God's saying, I'm ready to bring you back because he also ate up the stones. When he burned up the stones, he said, I'm accepting this part of your sacrifice as well, that you, yes, you are still my children. It's not just Elijah saying it. I'm saying it too because I'm eating up your, stone, your stones with my fire. But then he goes another step and he, he, he burns up the dirt and the licks up the water that's in the trench. So why in the world would God do something like that? To prove he could? I think pretty much. But let, let's take it a little deeper than that. God was just reminding them 
of his possibilities in the face of impossibility. That when they watched that fire fall down and not just burn up the bull, but burn up the stones and the water in the trench and the soil around all that, he was reminding them, show me how impossible it is and I'll show you how possible everything is with me. Okay, I, I, I gotta hurry. Let, let me jump. I'm gonna come back to that at the end. When all the people saw this, verse 39, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. The purpose of miracles is to bring us back to God. It is not for you to wear as a badge on your, on your lapel, you know, that, hey, I'm a miracle worker. Hey, I prayed for somebody, they got healed, and you strut around. It's, that, that's not the purpose of a miracle. The purpose of miracles is always, and you can say it however you want to, for God, for God to be vindicated, for, for like Christ's ministry to be validated, or sometimes our ministry. But it is not about us. A miracle is not to show our ability. A miracle is to show his ability. A miracle is to bring us back closer to God. And so, 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 so we, we need to be careful that we don't just tell people about our stuff. And even, even, yeah, brag on your church. You need to be bragging on your church. God's doing amazing things. But don't just brag on your church. Brag on the Lord of your church. Brag on the one who is able to send the fire out of heaven and, and, and minister to the needs of all the people that say, yes, I need you with me today, God. Because that's the purpose. We, we, we need firefall today. We need firefall today. Can I ask you to join me in the front? Let's close together. Um, if you're a first-time attender, we, we'd like to close around front with a final prayer and a final song. We'd love to have you join us this morning. While, while you're headed this way, I'll say thank you for those of you who remembered and you, you tried to move up a couple of seats today, a couple of rows to make some space in the back. We added some chairs in the back also, but... Didn't want you guys to come in and fill those back chairs up that we're adding for our first time and our newcomers who really like to sit in the back. And so thank you for that. If you will, keep doing that every Sunday. We need firefall. And here's the thing. Okay, I, I, I got to hurry right here. I'm just going to try to wrap up, but I want, I want to say three things to you. Here's the first one. It's going to go up on the screen right here. Is you have fire and you don't even know it. You're saying, God, where are you? And you got fire and you don't even know it. I'm going to be talking to you about that in the next coming weeks, you've got fire and you don't even know it. You have, the fire is available to you and you don't even know it. You're not, you're not using it. It is there. See, back in the Old Testament, the fire only fell at times or the power of God only moved at times or there was a prophecy only at times. We're, we're now in the New Testament. In the New Testament, every believer has access to the power and to the fire of God. Every one of you, you don't have to wait to get here on Sunday and have pastor pray a prayer over you. You don't have to wait to get here on Sunday and hope that the pastor, that God has spoken something to me just to share it specifically to you. You don't have to wait on that. God can give. This, this is awesome, but this, this is just the beginning. There is so much more that God wants to do. Here, here's here's uh, the two last things. Kind of go back just a little bit. Let me say, say this to you. I'm gonna say this as quick as I can. Is that you need to understand Elijah... There were a lot of people praying for three years. God sent rain, God sent. No doubt those prophets of Baal were told by Ahab and Jezebel, you better pray rain down and prove that Jehovah is not the real God. So no doubt there were a lot of prayers going up. And no doubt Elijah wanted, God, can this be over yet? I don't know if he ever prayed it, but no doubt he wanted to. But he prayed the prayer at the precise moment. He prayed the prayer at the precise moment that it was time. How did he know when it was time? 
You see, that's the thing is we show up on Sunday morning and we say, pray for me that right now all of my needs are met and everything's done with, you know, and all my problems and all my, my battles and all my enemies go away today, right now, this moment. And that's not it. You know, God doesn't want a moment with you. He wants a life with you. He wants to walk with you. And so here, here's, here's the prayer you need to pray today, okay? You need to pray, God, help me get so in tune with you. I will not miss my time of praying the fire down in my life. Because your hero time is coming. Your epic time is coming. Your time to stand up, throw your shoulders back and say, it is time for this thing to be over with and done. That time's coming. But you've got to get in tune with him so that you know, like Elijah, we don't, we don't, even, have, we don't even have recorded how God spoke to Elijah and let him know. All we know is he knew. He was in a place where he knew when it was going to be time to pray, when God was going to be ready to send the fire down, when God was ready. And then just after this, God sends the rain. Elijah has to go pray, and Elijah has to go pray, and God sends the rain. Finally, it happens. So I, 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 back a few months ago, every single week I was asking you, how many of you need God to do amazing in your life this week? I want to take that a step deeper. How many of you are like the Israelites in that you are facing the impossible in your life. It looks like the impossible. Go ahead, come on. Some of you, just raise your hand. I'm facing the impossible in my life. I, I, I need God to do some possible. I need to see some possibilities. I am facing the impossible in my life. Let me ask you to do something. We're going to bow our heads and close our eyes right now. But you see these people, I've asked them to get around here in front a little bit more today. I want you to see these prayer team members. I want you to come right now. If you are facing an impossibility, I want you to come right now. I want you to let them pray with you, and I want you to let them pray that you get so in tune with God that when your epic hero moment to call down fire out of heaven into your marriage, into your kids, into your school, into your, uh, into your place of employment, into your finances or wherever, that you won't miss it. 